Okay, welcome to another edition of the College Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, my name is Nosa Yari, and today I have, this is one of the rare episodes where I had to change my recording schedule a bit because the time difference is so far. I usually do it for uh, recordings with guests from Australia, but today I have my very first guest all the way from Israel on the podcast. Hello, Tara. How's it going in Israel? It's hot but going great thank you right are there like seasons in israel kind of like you have in the u.s so it's pretty much like summer all year long there really is only two seasons there's hot <laughs> and rainy there's not much in between but like if you go to the north there's the hermon mountains and you can actually ski this year actually oh, for you can ski in israel you can there's a ski hill very expensive not like denver don't come to israel Yes, but they're actual ski hills and not like little, you know, bumps. Um, for the first time, two of my kids ever saw snow, and I'm a and I'm a Torontonian, and I grew yeah, up I with deep, say, deep yeah, snow. Yeah, from Canada. How old yes, are your kids? Yes. Were your kids my born kids, in Israel? I had four kids born in Toronto. I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, and an eight and a half-year-old. Four girls, and they were born in Toronto. The little one came over. She was a year and a half, so she. And she came over in the summer, so she really never saw snow. And then my son was born here and never saw snow. I cried with such joy watching these kids play in snow. Oh, mommy, it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can relate to that. I'm Nigerian, right? And I just moved to the U.S. like four years ago. And it, it, the same thing in Nigeria we have. We call it the rainy season and the dry season. So it's like dry or it's wet. That's one or two. But when I came to the U.S., it's like it was like different, like getting to experience snow for the first time but what's a canadian doing in israel like there, there must be a story there. like you, you did you grow up in toronto how do you find your way down to israel interesting Talk to me about so, it. yes so i grew up in toronto i'm 48 years old and i lived there till i was 42 41 42 and it was always israel was always in my blood i went to zionistic camps when i was a child and it was just that was it it was like they they mainlined it I Wait, knew uh, I so had to be in does Israel. Does that mean you grew up in a Jewish family? I grew up in a Jewish family. I wasn't religious. I grew up completely, I shouldn't say unaffiliated, but moderately affiliated. And I became religious later in life. But I always had that Zionist blood in me. I've always believed that Jews belong in Israel. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're religious, you're secular, you eat bacon, you're black, you're white, you're gay, you're straight. I don't care. Jews, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And I had an eye opening in Toronto, everything is black and white with the Jews. You're either religious or you're secular, you're Israeli or you're Russian, or it doesn't matter. Everybody is separate. There's no unity. And then I came here and always like covered up head to toe when I came to Israel and I moved into the small town that I'm in and I saw Jews of every walk of life. And I saw Jews that were um, from Eastern Europe uh, connecting with Western Europe and Orthodox Jews connecting with secular Jews and black Jews connecting with white Jews. And I was, I, I was like, uh, I didn't even have any word for the fact that I found my home because I Toronto, I used to work with street kids before I became a cultural English expert. And I just loved everybody. I never saw the difference between who people were. Who was, Who are we to judge who a person is? And here I am in this Orthodox world and everybody's judging. And then I came here and it was just like, it was like you can breathe. When you say everyone is judging, what do you mean? There's just, there's a, you have to be a certain way. There are many cultures like this, Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, oh, Hinduism. Within the Jewish community, people are judging. 
Yes, within every culture, everybody has that thing, you know, where the observant people say, this is what you have to do. And then the secular people are like, no, that's old school. And it's like that in every religion, every culture. It's just Nigeria. Nigerians will tell you this is the way you have to be. It's just what's innate in people. And then I came to Israel, to my small town called Paris Hana, which is about 12 minutes off uh, the coast of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Pardes Hana. Pardes Hana. Got it. Hannah. Yeah. And it means um, Hannah's orchards. That's what it means. And it was like a breath of fresh air. I could breathe. I like cried with such joy to see that everybody is just everybody. And even the Arabs, I go, I used to teach in the Arab city right next to me. And here I am, you know, a Jew going into an Arab city and the rest of the world is thinking, oh, Arabs and Jews, they don't get along. You know, in Toronto, I thought Arabs were like, oh, everybody wanted to kill us because that's what media did. And here I moved to Israel and everybody's like, No, that's not what it's like. And it was just such a beautiful, beautiful awakening that what was always inside my heart is actually a reality in this country. I mean, does does that mean like speak speaking of, you know, some of the conflict? I mean, we're we're recording this in June. I think it was like last month where we had like a resurgence of the Israeli-Palestine conflict where, you know, the Hamas were watching all these crazy videos of like bombs flowing into Tel Aviv and things like that. Like how, how far are you from Tel Aviv? What was that experience like like a month ago like that must have been terrifying no so <laughs> i want to i had a very funny story israelis have a very good sense of humor and they make very dark jokes it's just how we survive okay and i say we because i've been indoctrinated into this culture i'm nowhere near the um the con- I was nowhere near the conflict like a good couple hours away tell like not close at all everything you heard is what i was hearing my kids were playing on the street everything was normal my husband had just gotten back from out of town like literally that day, if his plane was delayed another two, three hours, his flight would have been diverted to Cyprus because the conflict's wrapping. He really like made it by the skin of his teeth. Anyway, we're discussing just before we're going to sleep. I said, you know what? It's probably a good idea. We figure out what we're going to do with the kids if the alarm goes off. Every house, I would say 30 years old and newer, has their own bomb shelter in the house. It's just like it becomes a bedroom, an office. It's just it's a regular just like a room. garage. Like everyone just happens to have a bomb shelter. That's exactly. Crazy. Exactly. And it's, it's, uh, it happens to be a guest bedroom for us. So I said to my husband, we should make it, we should know, figure out what to do. Now in my town, even the last war, the entire summer, I think people went in three times. It really is, we're a blip. They don't even notice us. I downloaded on my phone, the app, the red alert app so that I can hear what was going on. And I did it for my town and the the city right next to me. Two o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off. And it's like a rave party in your head. The alarm is so loud. Where are there actually alarms on the street to like sound if something's going on? Yes. Yes. But what this was from my phone from the app. I should have just relied on on speakers throughout the entire country. There are speakers and they'll only go off in your neighboring in your neighborhood if you need it. But I had the app, which was stupid. So two o'clock in the morning, it goes off. And I'm like, okay, let's get everybody up. Got everybody up, went into the bomb shelter, got all five of our kids in a minute and a half downstairs. And I'm scrolling through the app and it says it's in the south, it's in the south, it's in the south. And we're closer to the north. You're talking like three hours away from me. Okay. Nowhere close. <laughs> and it was an experience. I'll you know tell that? you 
Yeah, I know. I was just going to say that that's that's interesting because like I'm an immigrant living in the U.S., right? Like I like we have all these West African immigrants like Nigerians, Ghanaians and all, all, all these people like Africans in general, even people from all over the world who seek to leave their country to to seek for a better life, like economically in the U.S. Oh, let me go to the U.S. because I'm from a country that has not given me the opportunities I want. Let me try to go to the U.S. and make some money. And it's just funny to see the reverse in your case, where someone who grew up in the West, in Toronto, that was afforded all these opportunities, but based off your beliefs, decided to go back to a country that might not necessarily be as secure as Toronto. That's just, it's just fascinating to see that, you know, that difference. And and it's just amazing to see. There are Jews moving from all over uh, the world to come back here. I'll explain a little bit about the conflict. The Israeli Arabs themselves have no desire whatsoever to fight. None. They just want to live happily, harmoniously. They work with us. We There are cities and towns all over Israel where Arabs and Jews live together. They work together. They're my pharmacists, my doctors. They are my friends. I, I have... I am honored and blessed to call many Arabs my friends. And they're just it's just normal. And they don't want this conflict either. And then you have the Palestinians that live in Gaza. Gaza, the problem is not the Palestinian people. Those children are being dealt a really bad life, and it's not their fault. Hamas is the governing uh, body there, and they are our dictators. It's, uh, it's not like um, there's no peace because that's not what they want. And if you look at the regions all around, they don't want these Palestinians either because of what Hamas is doing. That's the problem. It's not the Palestinian people, what Hamas is doing. Hamas will have their uh, operations, their rockets in kindergartens, in hospitals, and in apartment buildings. Israel drops leaflets 24 hours in advance. And now with modern technology, they send messages to all of the cell phones saying, please evacuate in 24 hours, we are going to be bombing here. What other country in the world tells their enemy to leave because they're going to bomb? They don't. They implode buildings. They don't explode them. There's a big difference. Exploding will take everything else around. Imploding, they literally just take the building that's housing the rocket. It's not the Israeli Arabs. And that's what social media has wrong. And that's what that's what kills me inside. And that's what gave me my fear before I moved here. And then I realized after being here that it's not like that. It's not like that. And it's really, it's bad. I mean, you know, we, we learn every day about these things. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have this podcast, you know, just to chip away at some of these cultural conversations. Like, for instance, like when I moved to Denver, like I moved to this small Jewish community called Glendale, like the Ju- Jewish community center is like five minutes away from my house, right? Like, and I, I found out how serious a Jews take the Sabbath, you know, um, and when they say you're not supposed to do any work during the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work during the Sabbath. And, you know, I, I initially thought that, oh, yeah, I, I know about that. Like when they say work, it's like you're not supposed to like, you know, go to work or go to your place of business or do this. But when I learned about very little things like turning on the light switch, you're not supposed to, uh, you know, exert energy and, you know, like opening a large door, or turning on light. I thought, wow, I never knew about that. And um, uh, someone was talking to me about how, oh, you know, there's some rabbis that say it's okay to do work while you're in the confines of your home, right? If you're outside, you're not supposed to do work, but if you're in the confines of your home, that's okay. So then there was this thing where there's this line that runs through the street lights all around the neighborhood, right? And the line is supposed to signify that the whole neighborhood is a home. So, so far the Jews are within the community, then it's okay to do some of those, uh, I'll call it like, you know, menial tasks and, and liberals tasks, and that's okay. That, it's called an Arab. What what'd you say it's called? 
It's called an Erev, E-R-U-V. Erev, yeah, I, di I didn't know that. But, you know, things like that, I would have never have known that, like, if I wasn't, like, curious enough to, like, learn about a culture that's not necessarily mine, you know, but it's pretty interesting. And maybe that's what we need in the world for better understanding, just for people to understand where people are coming from, why they do what they do, to be tolerable in their belief system and know that, hey, we can coexist. And, you know, we don't necessarily have to force people to succumb to our own beliefs. But, but that's besides the point. Um, and, you know, I was just learning even before the interview, like you were talking to me about how Israel is a single state. Like they don't have like regions or provinces like the U.S. has 50 states. I never knew that. And you were talking about the relationship. There are regions. There are regions, but there are regions, but the regions are, it, they're all governed by one state. It's not like when I was in Toronto, there's the, there's the, um, the national law and then there's the provincial law and then there's the, the municipal law. It's not like that. It's all of the same laws, regulations, all the same. There Do just happens to be different regions. Uh, or ministers per regions or things like that? No. There are ministers of of education, ministers of um, agriculture, ministers of, you know, that kind of thing. But there's no minister of, of a region. Got it. And apparently, like, uh, Caesar had some, uh, there's a relationship in history between Caesar and Israel. Like, I never knew that. Like, I knew uh, Caesar, the Caesar and Egypt thing with Cleopatra and, you know, some other parts of the world. But I never knew that, like, Caesar had anything to do with Israel at some point. You should look up the aqueducts. The the aqueducts are the what's remaining. By the way, we have mayors in in cities. I should tell you, we do have mayors, but oh, it's you, not you like there's no need regional. Mayors. Yeah, you probably need someone to yeah, we have organize mayors. things. <laughs> Exactly. So the in Caesarea, in Caesarea, there's the aqueducts, and it's their arches, a series of arches for a good couple of kilometers, and that's how they used to um, bring the water from the sea. And there's some that are remaining still. In fact, my kids were climbing on them today. That was their playground. Wow. So it was yeah, like a really technology, cool. like an ancient technology, to like store or Cement. divert the water. Romans. The Romans invented cement. The Romans invented a lot of things, like the sewage system, politics. I don't know if that's a good or bad invention, <laughs> but, but that's besides the point. I hate politics. Yeah, the way the way we see politics now. Okay, let's talk about you a little bit. So you're a cultural English teacher. Um, you're yes. born in Canada and you live in Israel. So when you say you're a cultural English teacher, that's not just an English teacher, a cultural English teacher. What's the difference? So what I say is it goes beyond grammar, beyond business grammar. If somebody truly wants to do business with an English speaking person, community, culture, country, they need to understand the culture of the way they speak. They need to understand that you can't just interrupt whenever you want. Like I, I've got, um, they need to understand the nuances, the subtleties. They need to understand the inside jokes, what you can say, what you can't say, what you can dress, how you can dress, what you can wear. And it's really a classic example is I know somebody who went into, excuse me, went in to go and see the head of a bank and the head of the bank was wearing jeans and a button-down t-shirt untucked. And, and you're talking uh, like an American who came from wealth. And they're like, how am I supposed to take this person seriously? And it's just the culture. Yet, if you were to go and a bank manager would be in jeans, besides on Halloween, you are not going to go back into that bank. You're not going to go back into that into that business. Dress down Friday, you wear khakis. You don't even wear, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's, there's that culture. And the way you dress is how you feel. My sister once was on a podcast and said that somebody had once said to her, I want you for an hour to wear sweatpants. And then an hour later, I want you to put on a skirt. So she did. And she noticed when she was in her sweatpants, 
pants, her feet were up and she was casual. When she put the skirt on, she was making sure she was sitting properly. And it's all about culture and how you're portraying yourself is really sort of very, very casual people. Casual in their words, casual in their dress, casual in their attitude, you know, and it's a problem when you're wanting to do serious business with certain communities. Like you go to somebody in Alabama, it's going to be a heck of a lot different than New York, right? Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) You see? So this is what I teach. I don't go into into details about Alabama versus New York versus um, Ottawa or, uh, or England. There is a general standard in North America and parts of Europe also. And you, so do, you, I explain you that. do that with a base of teaching English, right? So you're teaching English, but also trying to teach the nuance and, and how exactly. and where and why to say certain words and how to behave certainly. How easy, is it even possible to teach culture? It, I believe like the best way, I always say like the best way to experience culture is through food and music, right? Like if you just consistently, like I was getting into like, um, like Latin hip hop, like in the last couple of months by a girl in Southern California interviewed. And just through that, I just started seeing like my YouTube ads change to uh, to Spanish ads. And, you know, I was just starting to get immersed and I, I found myself going to the store and picking out like Latin foods or, or, or you know, the Hispanic foods and things like that. Like that's because I took the uh, time to experience that culture. And that's how I learned. Is it possible to compartmentalize like the nuance in culture and teach that without someone necessarily experiencing it? Yes and no. The the reason I say yes and no is, is food is a huge part of every single culture, every culture. My kids, we have twice a month, we have um, country theme day and I will make food, I'll make dinner based on a certain country. And then we watch YouTube videos or we listen to a podcast or whatever from that country. So I can educate my children both on the culture and the food. But when you're talking about people who are doing business and it's on Zoom or they're traveling there, you know, sitting in a restaurant and eating, you know, a steak or a burger or whatever it is that you're eating is not really going to help them experience the culture, the words. Now, it'll be different if they're going to be in a burger place versus, you know, a nice steakhouse, obviously. But Israelis may not even understand that subtlety, right? You you act differently when you're in um, uh, on the golf course versus a cocktail party versus a conference. They may not necessarily notice those subtle differences. So I have cultural classes, small talk, the kind of small talk that you can have, communication, all those kinds of things. And all the while, I'm correcting their grammar and enhancing their vocabulary at the same time. There'll be a time when I'll be in a face-to-face class versus Zoom and I'll take out my phone and I'll and I'll be slouching and I'll be pretending to and I'll, pretending to be on my phone and they won't even notice and then I'll be like you know what guys if you're going to be sitting like this and doing what like this in a meeting in New York or LA they're going to be really insulted by you New York you know? is getting insulted I don't believe it <laughs> <They do. laughs> Israelis can insult a New Yorker right right right, right. if 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 you're going to be on any level or close to a level playing field it's going to be Israelis in New York Yorkers because they both have a lot of gall. Chutzpah. I'm sure you've heard the word chutzpah. I've heard the word chutzpah, yeah. Okay. So they both have a lot of chutzpah. So they're on that same level. But there are sometimes Israelis can just push it a little bit more. But not everything is in New York. There's there's Chicago, there's Boston, there's LA, there's Texas. My husband's in Texas right now. There's a lot of business all over. 
and that's all different. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's pretty interesting. Obviously, you know, if you're a business person that does business with the West, you want to learn as much of your culture as you can. Like, uh, and I would imagine like most of your clients are Israelis are doing business with like, you know, America or Europe or Canada, things like that. I always wonder why it's not always the reverse though. Like you, you have all these people who try to learn American culture, but not a lot of Americans try to learn other cultures, right? Like when I came to the US, I used to work in this hotel and in the hotel, we had this hot hotline, right? Anyone that called to book uh, in the hotel, we're supposed to transfer them to our reservation hotline. But the reservation hotline was, uh, I think it was in India, you know, outsourcing and all that. Guests were always pissed off. Like they'll call back and like, don't transfer, like transfer me. Like I want to speak. I was like, I can't collect your credit card information over the phone. We're not allowed to do that. Our reservation hotline has systems in place that allows them to do that. Well, unfortunately, they're in India. So those, they were not willing to, you know, even take that five minutes to speak to an Indian to book a hotel room. Americans don't do that. They don't, not a lot of Americans have international passports to, to go outside the country. Most Americans, if they grow up in Texas, they work in Texas, they die in Texas. They hardly go to another part of America, let alone another country. So um, how important do you think it is for the West to also learn about global culture and not just everyone kind of like learning about Western culture? So it's amazing you said that because I watched, it was a documentary I think I watched on a woman who was saying exactly that, is that we should stop teaching foreigners how to speak American, American, okay? And start teaching Americans how to deal with foreigners. Why is it that America is the center of the world? Why is it that there's, America is the melting pot of cultures from all over the world. And there are more uh, speak, there are more people that speak English as a second language in the state, in America, than as their native language. So why? Why is English so dominant? And then I thought about maybe I should start approaching North American companies and saying to them, let me teach you the culture of Israel. And I, I ran it by a few people and they're like, yeah, it's not going to work. Americans just aren't going to do it. It's, you know, they just it's love the great stuff, US of A. Right? They're... I mean, I blame Hollywood personally. It's, it's really, you know, if you blame everything on Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood, is, it's always like when there's <laughs> an Asian invasion, they always land in America. It's like the spaceships just target America, like don't land in any other part of the world. I'm like, I don't understand, you know, but, but, but it's all good though, you know, just, I guess, some of those uh, uh, nuances going up. But, you know, I always look at immigrants to have the upper hand in a way, not the upper hand, uh, kind of like we're competing with each other. But if you, you come from one culture and you learn another culture suddenly you can act as a bridge between both cultures just like you just like the way you're doing like you grew up in toronto till you were 42 you understand how they do things in canada and you're also like Jewish. So like you can bridge those two gaps, exactly what you're doing with, you know, being a cultural English teacher. How do you, so what's your process? Like if, if does a businessman kind of like approach you or go to your website and say, Hey, you know, I, I have a business meeting in September. This is what's going on. Is it like a consulting based approach? Is it like a classroom based approach? Is it like a mixture of both? Like what's your modus operandi in, in doing what you do? So I have a few different things. I'm on LinkedIn all the time and I'm posting the one of the things that most people like to see on LinkedIn are the mistakes that my students make because they want to learn from them. So I'll post a mistake and we make jokes and then I ask people, you know, what do you think is better grammar, this blah, 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 you know, and um, I meet people that way. I also have people just cold calling me 
and saying, listen, I really need English lessons. It's never a one-off. I have a meeting, help me with this meeting. It could be that I'm giving weekly lessons, bi-weekly, weekly lessons. And somebody says, I have a presentation coming up next week. I've written it. I would like to present it to you. And I want you to critique it for me. And I will critique the culture, the grammar, the vocabulary, everything, the way they're presenting it, everything. And that will be one of their lessons. It's not just a one-off because you can't do one-off. You can't learn a language one time. And I say to them all the time, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. Once a, you know, once a week is not enough unless you're speaking English at work, which many, many, many Israelis do. This is the startup nation and they're dealing with so many people, they have to speak English. Uh, so I said, unless you're speaking English at work and you have that opportunity to practice, you're wasting your money. I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously I want to earn a living, but I'm not the kind of person that's just going to take money and, and run with it. I'm not like that. If you want lessons, make it worthwhile or other we're going to otherwise I'm going to say I'm going to go to the next student I can't do it. So it's generally once a week or twice a week it's for an hour and then I give them homework and they love the homework. I'll tell you what I do. I have a chart and I have I write down here's Right? I have a whole list of what the, the mistakes that student make. students make. I write it down as they're speaking. And as they see me turning and writing, they're like, oh, shoot, she's writing again. What did I say? But it does multiple things. It slows them down. It gets them thinking and focuses and focusing on what they need to think about, what they're doing wrong. And um, then I send them the mistakes at the end of the lesson. And then they have until the next lesson. It's all on a Google Doc. So one side says what you said and the other side is the corrections. So I'll give you an example here. I have, um, I'm, I'm taking vacation for a few days. I'm taking a vacation for a few days. All right. Um, and examples like that. And then they correct them and they get the culture because of the way we word things. Today, we were talking all about push back versus push off, play up, milking it. Right. My my daughter got her second vaccine today and she was milking it. Oh, mom, my, my arm hurts. My, my Mom, can you go get me something? And she was milking it. <laughs> right? right. So right. that's culture. Right. It, it's the way you use the word. Um, and so that they have to correct that. Then they come back the next lesson. And then I tell them, I want you to use these words. I want you to think about these grammatical mistakes that you make and use it uh, throughout the lesson. So it's never just one lesson. That's, that's interesting. Now, you said, you know, it, it'll make sense if they, you know, constantly interact in English unless or else they're wasting your money. What other languages are spoken in Israel? Like what 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 does the school system use? What, what other languages are common in Israel besides English? So it's the it depends on the school. Every school has to do Hebrew and English. They have to. The Arab schools do Hebrew, English and Arabic, obviously. Many of the secular non-religious schools and all schools are paid by the state. doesn't matter if you're secular or religious. The secular schools, when you get to the higher grades, it's English, Hebrew, and then there's option of Arabic, which I want my children to learn. I really want them to learn. They're not at that stage yet because they're my oldest one is only going into ninth grade. Um, so those are the three main ones. There are pockets of um, Russians and pockets of French, other cultures too, but the, the main non-native speakers here outside of Hebrew and Arabic are English, then Russian, and then French. So you may get that mixed in in certain schools like for extra help, but it's English, Hebrew, and Arabic. So pretty much a trilingual uh, state. That makes sense. That makes sense. And how, how long have you been doing this? Like how deliberate were you about getting into this particular field? Like were you a teacher when you were back in Canada and just like leverage your skills when you came to Israel or you just kind of like saw the opportunity because you had background based on the fact that you grew up in the West that you could offer this to people who needed it? So in Toronto, I started off as a social worker. I worked with street kids and that was my my heart, my passion 
passion, my soul. Um, and then I had my first child and I didn't want to be doing crisis work. So I started, I was a secretary of a school, you know, school hours. It was great. No problem. Then I moved to Israel and I said, all right, I can't work with the street kids here because while I speak Hebrew, understanding street slang is completely different. And I was in my 40s with five kids, just learning Hebrew. I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to learn slang at this point. And so somebody says, you teach English. I'm like, why? I'm like, all right, fine. I'll give this a shot. And I found a company, just like one of these international companies that you can teach English and you don't need any certification for it. I'm like, all right, fine. I did it. I started falling in love with it immediately and only adults. I never taught children. And I said, you know what? I need to get certified. I'm good at this. I like this. So I got a certification from Cambridge University. It was a one month hellish intensive course where I barely saw my kids. It was, yeah, it, the the class itself, I think was from, it was eight till two, eight till one, something like that, five days a week. But you were up till two in the morning doing your assignment. So it really was insane. Sounds like an MBA. I have an MBA, so I'm just <laughs> trying to relate. In one month, though, in one month. So it was like, it was highly, highly intensive, like 15 hours a day for an entire month, besides Shabbat. Shabbat was my break. And um, so I fell in love with that. And then I started realizing that there was a gap in culture. And I started branching out beyond just the company I was teaching for. I started developing my own course, my own lessons. And it just kind of morphed and developed on its own. And I'm loving it. Nice, nice. What, what are some common, like, if, if we want to flip it, because there are people listening to this podcast from all over the world, right? A bunch of people might be able to speak English, but some a bunch of people might not be able to speak Hebrew. Like, what are some common, like, Hebrew words that you can teach some of our listeners? Uh, like, maybe if you have any funny words, they say the easiest way to, to learn another language to start with the curses. I don't know if we, it's okay to curse on the podcast, but if you don't want to, you don't have to. But what are some simple words? Okay, so... <laughs> The, the first curse that comes to mind is Benzona, which is a son of a bitch. Ben, Benzona? Ben? B-E-N? B-E-N. Um, try to spell it in English. Z-O-N-A-Y-Y-A. Benzona. Benzona. Benzona, son of a bitch. Is there any intonation with that or is just straight Benzona? Benzona. Benzona. Okay, I'm sure they'll remember that one. It's, it's really swear. <laughs> the music on the radio here is not filtered. You'll hear fuck. You'll hear shit. Really? It's not filtered. I'll tell you, Mike. Interesting. It seems like a lot of hip hops need to play shows in television. They do. They do, because there's no censoring here. My kids, before I spoke Hebrew, for the first six months we were here, my kids were walking around my house and they were already speaking Hebrew fluently. Sheet, sheet, sheet. And I didn't pay attention. I was pregnant. I was like a deer in the headlights. And all of a sudden one day I'm like, what the fuck? My kids are saying shit like Israelis. <laughs> well, they're living in Israel. I, don't, so. <laughs> I know. At that point, I laughed it off. I'm like, right, whatever. At that point, I'm not changing my kids. Sheet, sheet. They were walking around. A great expression is pum shli sheet glida. Pum shli sheet glida. 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 Yeah, it means... Pum shli sheet glida. Yeah. You know what? I'll write it in the chat for you. <laughs> pum shli sheet glida. Pum sheet. Oh, it's three words, not four. No, pum sheet glida. Pum sheet glida. It means third time ice cream. It's an Israeli thing. Third time ice cream? Yeah. What, huh, what does that mean? Meaning you see somebody once in the morning and then you see them again in the afternoon. You say, oh, third time, we're going over ice cream. It's just... Oh, third time ice third cream. Third time like ice cream. Ice cream like... The 
Nobody ever oh. does it. Nobody ever does it. Nobody ever goes out for ice cream. It's just an expression. <laughs> oh, pamshlishitlita. Mikone. Who's going to buy it? Even, <laughs> that's another fun one. Pamshlishitlita. Um, sababa. Sababa works for everything. Sababa. Sababa. I'll meet you later, okay? All right, Sababa. Okay, so that's like, I, I get it. Like, okay, awesome. no problem kind of thing. It works. Awesome. Cool. No problem. Done. Oh, that's kind of like, we have a thing like that in Pigeon English. Pigeon English is used in Nigeria. It's called no wahala. No wahala? Yeah, no, the like yes and no, no, and then wahala. Wahala is problem. So no wahala is like no problem. So I'll meet you at two. Okay, no wahala, no problem. Um, would you like an ice cream? Okay, sure, no wahala, no problem. All of it. Like, it's just like the thing we do. So it's interesting to see, you know, how, how, how different languages uh, work in like different parts of the world. But I certainly won't forget Bentona. <laughs> That's something I might use to, 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 to look for trouble every now and again. But that, that's pretty interesting. Do you find that like as you continue to do this work with technology that's going on, like a lot of people doing business all over the world, but people don't necessarily communicate before they do business. Like I might have an Instagram page and someone is like, even to book the podcast, right? Even though I, I converse in English, most times I get to speak to the person for the very first time during the interview. The whole process of booking the interview where either DMing or the person is booking the scheduling the link on Calendly or doing one thing or the other, like I, I might be able to get by if even if I don't understand English on the internet one way or the other but having a face-to-face -face conversation then I obviously need English do, do you feel like technology is making it easier or harder for um, people who want to understand English or understand the nuance in English uh, in the in, in 2021 so I would say it depends on their level of English because there's Google Translate or more fix or anything like that. But if you don't have a high enough level of English to understand that things need to be flipped around, then it may not be good. Like my Hebrew, there are some things I just don't understand in Hebrew. And we don't have, there's at the, there's certain words that you put an extra letter at the end and you know if it's masculine or feminine, okay? It's not like he, her, him, she, there's an extra letter. And if you, That's if I like put something French in Google well. Translate, yes, very similar. So if, I don't understand something and I want to Google translate it, I can change it to masculine or feminine or I can flip certain things around because I understand. But if you don't have at least that foundation, even social media is going to be hard because the grammar, the, the biggest mistake, I'll give you a great mistake. If you type something in, um, you want to say that you're mad at somebody, okay? And you type it in your language or you're trying to figure something out. But then this is an actual a literal example from one of my students, okay? He was he was telling me he's mad about somebody at work, another co male colleague. And I had to tell him, you're not mad about him because you're not hot for him. You're mad at him. Oh. Preposition. <laughs> That's a very, even I took it, it took me a minute to like understand why do you, oh, I'm mad about you as in, okay, in that way. Yes, <laughs> right, I'm right, mad right. about you, right? I'm mad about right. you. It's, it's, <laughs> right, right, these right. are subtleties. These are subtleties that, that if you're writing on social media or you're using a, a translator, that it just may miss, right? Right. True, 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 true. It's just like using pants, right? Like when I came to the U.S. and people were like saying, oh, pants, but like pants where I come from in underwear, <laughs> you know? So when people are like, oh, can you grab me my pants or my pants or like, my pants is my pants. I'm like, what? Everyone talking about their pants? For oh, Christ's sake, you know, it's like there's a little <laughs> bit of a nuance there, but <laughs> well, it's all good. Like but it's, just, it's so interesting. That's it. Sorry, this is the culture. This is the culture. It is. It, yeah. is, it is. It is. But again, you know, people need to make a deliberate effort 
to like, you know, kind of learn it. And, you know, what, like you said, you know, catering to the U.S. or learning about American culture is one thing. Like there are a lot of Nigerians who do business in Asia, right? Particularly in China, like Southeastern Nigeria uh, is a tribe called the Igbos. Very, very entrepreneurial. In fact, some Igbos believe they are descendants of Jews. Um, I'm not, you know, educated enough to speak about that, but like very, very entrepreneurial. They do, do a lot of business with China, like half of the imports from China to Nigeria are run by Igbos. And a lot of them are saying, hey, like, Mandarin is the future. Like, <laughs> let's learn Mandarin. Let's cater to Asian culture or something. Like, a lot of people are saying, hey, America's starting to lose its grip. We saw saw the invasion of the Capitol building, things like that. Uh, that, hey, China just may be the future and things like that. I say that to say um, with the English language, like, the English, English language is what? The second most popular language in the world or maybe even the third. It's not number one. I know that for sure. Um, no, no, no. No, I think it's, it's the top. Top th- the top three are, I believe, Spanish, Chinese, and Arabic. Yeah, I think those like are the that. top. I could be wrong. So it's something right. like that. Something like that. Yeah, I, I ask that to the, like, uh, obviously, this is a work you're doing and it's relevant today, but like 100 years from now, do you see the English language being as strong uh, as, as, it, as it once was and as popular as it once was? Or maybe everyone will have like a chip in their brain where they can just communicate their thoughts directly. We don't even need language or something. I don't know. Follow my kids better that way, you know. Um, um, I, you know, it's, I, I thought of, I think about it all the time, actually, because it, to be honest, I think Spanish should be the international language. It's spoken more, it's clearer, it's easier. I'm not I, I'm not by far uh, at all, I should say, a, a Spanish speaker. But what I know of it, the rules and the consistency in the language are far easier than English. English, this is what I explained to my students, is that it was, it started off as a Germanic language. And then you had Nordic and you had Old English and you had Spanish and you had French and you had German. Um, every other cult, you know, and you put it in a bowl and you mix it up and spit it out. And that's what we speak. That's why there are so many exceptions to every rule and exception to the exception. Oh, oh it's IE, but sometimes it's EI, and there's just so many rules. But in other languages, there's not that many rules. Right, right, right. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I mean, it's been pretty fascinating talking to you. Like as we start to like wind down the podcast and wrap up the podcast, like what are some some facts or that you want people to be aware of about either Israel or Canada? You know, people have all these generalizations that oh, Canadians are so nice. <laughs> it might not necessarily be you know that debunking like specific generalizations. It might just be one thing, like you telling me that oh, Israel is one state, and you know they don't necessarily have. Uh, uh, autonomous individual states within the country is there something you can educate us about either about israel or canada or maybe even english that you think would be beneficial for, to some of our listeners so i'll tell you a few things if you follow nas daily nas nas is if you he's the amazing traveler. yeah okay so he's actually an israeli arab and and living with an israeli arab also a jew and he went to Canada and he says they really are the nicest people in the world. We Canadians are nice. They're just easygoing and they're nice. And yes, we do apologize for the weather. That's just who we are. It's true. I'm sorry it's raining. You know, I have to have a rain check, <laughs> reschedule. Israelis are a little bit different. The Israeli fruit, the fruit of the of, of Israel is called the sabra. And sabra. S-A-B-R-A. And mm-hmm. it's a green fruit and there are sharp prongs, uh, which is its defense mechanism. But all around, there's like, it's almost like it's soft fiberglass. So if you try to touch around the sharp prongs, you're going to have little bits of fiberglass in your finger. You need special gloves to take it and clear it off. Okay. So it's sharp and prickly on the outside trying to deter you. But once you peel it away, it's soft and mushy. That's Israeli. Those are Israelis. 
Israelis Sabra. are hard. Sabras. That's a nice analogy. <laughs> but that's why that's why we're called Sabwa. Israelis are called Sabwas because of that. They have to be hard on the outside. They have to protect themselves. We didn't get to where, I should say they, because I'm new. They didn't get to where they are in 70 short plus short years by being soft. We are a tough people. We are a hard people. And this is why we are the way we are. But if so you peel away that la layer. So, so what's the best glove to use? Like what's the best way to like get into the good graces of an Israeli? Is it true? Like language, food, music, like what, what's the, any pointers there? Just be real. If it, it depends. It depends. It's taking them with a grain of salt. Like if you're doing business with an Israeli and they're being very harsh, that's just their way of protecting themselves. If you peel away their exterior and you talk to them and you say, another one of my favorite words is tachlis, which is like, just get to the point. Business. Let's let's get down to it, right? Um, tachlis. They will, they'll be cool. They're good people. They are honest people and they are hardworking people. And you just need to get through that thick layer to see who they really are on the inside. Any Israeli would stop dead in their tracks to help somebody in need. Anyone, anyone. I I have not a doubt in my mind. If you fall in the street, it's not like New York where they're going to walk over you, right? Or LA, they may not even notice because they're, you know, on their phone with a producer or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Or they There's... might just think you're one of the homeless people. <laughs> exactly. In Israel... Nobody's going to step over you. They won't. They won't. I shouldn't say there's always that person here and there. But as a whole, Israelis are not like that. And I, I, I put the Arab Israelis in that too, not just the Jews. And that's, so that's it's getting past that hard exterior. Right. Like I've learned so much. Like the Sabra, like the Arabs, uh, the 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 Caesarea, and you know Caesar and Israel. So many things I've learned from this episode. Like if if people want to like are intrigued and uh, so two things. If people are intrigued and just want to continue to learn more about. Um, Israeli culture, what are some resources you can recommend uh, online that they can probably, you know, passively use to learn more about the culture? And if someone is like interested in contacting you to learn about, you know, business communication and English, uh, cultural, you know, English, like how do they do that as well? To reach out to me, it's a lot easier for me to then to give you a single resource um, and how to learn more about here. I'd have to find that myself uh, to like find one for tourists because I have local things in Hebrew. For me, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I can give you my email address. Um, I'm pretty easy to, to reach. To get to know Israel, I would say um, look at the travel blogs. See what real people are saying. What I, I Somebody asked me this the other day about um, about how to speak with Israelis. I actually wrote an article on it. And I said, when you're touring here, don't go to just all the tourist spot. Take the time out in any one of your days of your trip and just go to a local coffee shop and sit down and just start speaking to people. I said, nine times out of 10, you're going to find an Israeli that speaks English. It's If you're in like a small little town where there's no coffee shop, you may find the old school Israelis don't. But any city you're in, any city you're in, any town you're in, if it's not one, two, it'll be the, the third person. There's always going to be somebody that speaks English. Ask them, where are they from? You know, where are their grandparents from? Right, right. And that's just like on everyone, like in all my travels, I try to do that, right? Like I, I hit the tourist spots, but I try to, you know, also like get into like, depending on where I am, like the villages and things just to experience like, okay, let me experience what is really like. And, and you know, when I was speaking about resources, I wasn't like speaking about one specific thing. I know it might be difficult, but you know, I've had recommendations 
this on the podcast before, like someone recommended me to, I had a Saudi Arabian on the podcast and she recommended me to Saudi Arabian comedy. And, <laughs> and one of the funniest things I've, I've, I've experienced, like there's this female comedian in Saudi Arabia and all she does is to like, to make light of the way women are treated in the Middle East. I know, I know it's a pretty serious thing, but the way she does it is digestible to someone like me to, to realize, oh, I, I never realized that women couldn't drive and all these things, things were different in this way, but because I consumed it through comedy, that was just a way of me like exposing myself to that culture and understanding uh, more about that. But yeah, definitely like travel and things like that are always like a good way to to kind of like increase your understanding about other cultures and things like that. There's a TV show, Fauda. Fauda, it's on Netflix and there's English subtitles um, and it's all about um, the Mossad, the Israeli intelligence. That would be interesting. It's like, it's an action-packed show, Fauda. There's a ton of Israeli shows on Netflix, a ton of them. I'll tell you a quick interesting story. You know, this woman in Saudi Arabia was talking, was making light and uh, about what's happening with the women. I had a very young Arab student. She was about 18, grew up very sheltered. And I don't even remember what the conversation was, but she had said something about Arabs outside of Israel. I said, you know, this is the best place for you here. She goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, and I was being facetious, like, you know, you're mother wouldn't be a doctor and your sister wouldn't be a pharmacist and you wouldn't be driving and your aunt wouldn't have gone to university if you were in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. She goes, what do you mean? I said, sweetheart, you really need to go home and talk to your parents because- It's easy to take things for granted. It's sh- Because we're a democratic country and every single Arab has every single right that every other person in this country has. And she had no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to take things for granted. I was on a cl- clubhouse room and the room was like why do women find it difficult to listen to men not in, that wasn't the exact exact title but we're just talking about you know sometimes when men try to communicate their feelings it's always like man up you know kind of thing and women try to brush away a lot of times when we try to be vulnerable in things even though they say they like us to be vulnerable and we're just talking like back and forth there were men on the stage women on the stage and you were just talking and the girl from palestine pakistan i'm sorry came onto the stage and she was like like she doesn't believe what she's hearing like like in pakistan like like the whole relationship where a husband and wife can sit down have a conversation about their feelings what that doesn't involve like the children or food or what's going on like have a genuine emotional conversation that, that that's not even like a thing but to so her hearing I, I just say that to say like uh, which you are reference to the young Arabic lady like a lot of things like different people in different parts of the world kind of like take for granted but you know I always like to say we learn every day you know one of the reasons for this podcast you know we can't solve all the issues around cultural differences and all the isms and all that but if we can educate people in our own little way by having this casual conversation and people can be intrigued and say oh you know what that guy down the street you know I know him to be Jewish or, or whatnot let me see if I can find out more about that if we can spark that in a couple of people every episode then maybe we are in our own little way doing our own part Pay it uh, forward. To, yeah, yeah, in our own little way, you know, to pay it forward. But man, I really appreciate you, Tara, for coming on the podcast. Um, you talked about your LinkedIn. You want to like drop like your 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 LinkedIn name. I will have a couple of links in the description, but if someone wants to reach out to you on social media or you want to drop like an email or something like that, uh, you can do that. Where do you want me to put my LinkedIn profile? Uh, no, you can just say it. And we'll also have it in the description uh, of the podcast once it's, once it's published. Okay, so it's the linkedin.com slash in slash Tara L. Carey. Got it. 
Got it. And again, we appreciate you. Um, as always, guys, a Culture Class Podcast. You can follow us everywhere. It's cultureclasspodcast.com. On all social media, it's Culture Class Podcast. Uh, try to do your best to be deliberate about learning about some of these things we consider differences. And once you do that, you might just realize that they're not so much different. We're more alike than you think. But, you know, till next episode. One blood. Yep, one blood. Till next. Oh, that's uh, that's actually a hip-hop reference. But <laughs> till next episode you guys be well and uh, see you guys later